I'm Jay Novella, and you're listening to the European Skeptics Podcast, the real ESP experience. You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number eight. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Janon Levin and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Всем привет! Hey, son, allihop! Ooh, did you notice anything in my intro? Yes, we're weekly. Ha <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that's correct. <laughs> You're quite pleased with yourself, aren't you? Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sweet. Um, it's a no, but that's good. Um, yeah, and um, we've got some very nice feedback. Yeah. So, yes, the uh, calendar that we put up on our website is working brilliantly. People are getting in touch with us, emailing about different events. And recently we received an email from Brian Egger, who calls himself Eggman. And he told us about the wonderful event that's going to happen in Scotland, Glasgow, and it's called Skeptikale. Yeah, you know what? Let him tell us uh, what is what it's going to be uh, at some point uh, during the show. Absolutely. Absolutely. He in recorded a quick intro into this event telling us more about it so he'll be able to tell us where the name come from etc yeah nice yeah and uh, we were con uh, contacted by uh, someone else that was triggered by uh, our new segment or what's hot in europe segment where i covered uh, the question of uh, tackling obesity and uh, daniel contacted us saying that I missed out on, on a very important aspect of the thing, uh, that is a neurological aspect of overeating. And yeah, of course, I didn't cover that. Um, and there are many other aspects of, of, of this whole question um, as well that were left out. But that is a very good point. And um, he specifically mentions a drug combination that, that he lost 65 pounds with, which is quite a lot. It's 30 kilos. So that is happening, that there are combinations of, of, of certain drugs that, that attack separate problems within the, the, the complex uh, set of problems, like uh, depression uh, and, and mood changes, and uh, the, the pleasure center within your brain um, that, that, is, that acts on the reward cycle of, of, of your uh, eating uh, habits. So, so that's, that's an important point. Um, no, but we should point so out as well that that can, hap that can help certain people in certain situations. It's not, but we don't exactly. advocate people taking drugs le left, right, and center. Absolutely. This is specific. Yeah. And an important part, <laughs> yeah, and an important part of that, uh, what he says, is that uh, it was with medical help that, that, that mm. he did that. So it's not just something out on the market that you can get and, no, and, no. and uh, buy that's advertised on TV. So it's um, after proper consideration of what the real problems are and then tackling the different aspects of the problem with different parts of the drug so yeah these things can happen but uh thanks very much uh daniel for for mentioning that and 
yeah, good luck for the future. And the same goes for uh, many other people out there who are fighting with the same problem. So, people, please keep sending those emails, keep sending those feedbacks. Uh, we really, we really, really love those, and uh, that's that's how we are, we are going on. That's how the show evolves. Uh, that's how events are being discovered by others across Europe. Um, and as always, you can get in touch with us by emailing us uh, on info at theesp.eu, and we're also on Twitter. It's at esp podcast underscore eu and we've got the facebook page where you can find us and like us and follow us and the website theesp.eu thank you very much and uh, apparently we have a lot um, a, a few events that we didn't know of when we recorded the last episode so we would like to uh, let you know what those are those are all in the calendar that we shared on our website under the events menu item. So make, sh- make sure you check it out. But what are those? I'm very excited about one that is um, going to be on the very same day that this show goes out. Because that's actually happening in Brighton, where I currently live. And um, since last time when Marsh, Michael Marshall... Uh, was in the vicinity giving a speech at uh, Eastbourne, Skeptics in the Pub. In the end, I couldn't attend that. Uh, But now it seems that I will be able to be there with uh, the Brighton Secular Humanists in the pub. And Marsh is going to be talking about his investigation into fake healer Peter Popoff. Mm. That's an interesting... He was a, a big one, yeah, yeah. I still, I, st- I think still he's still going strong. Did, yes, did he is. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So uh, anyone who is uh, in the vicinity, uh, make sure you be there at uh, 7.30. The pub is the King and Queen, which is uh, one of the best known pubs in, in town. Um, all right. And the another event that's coming up on the 8th of February in London uh, is a, um, it's a discussion group, Christian and Skeptic discussion group, um, so um, Alan Duval presents The Road to Monotheism um, and it's always great to participate in events like this because uh, they truly uh, provoke people to, to think and, and question each other. You know, Christians and skeptics don't get together very often. So do attend if you're around in London. Yeah, those uh, will be before the next uh, episode, I mean, after this one uh, goes out. But uh, there are two events that we would like to promote far in advance in order for uh, people who are interested to be able to join those events and uh, join the efforts. There is one thing that um, Catherine de Jong, whom we interviewed uh, on the second episode, drew our attention to. It's the health fair in Utrecht in the Netherlands. It's, uh, I'm, I'm not trying to say the, the original name. So it's happening between the 11th and 14th of February uh, in Utrecht. And uh, the Dutch Skeptic Society Skepsis and uh, the Dutch Society Against Quackery decided to work together again on a project that aims at um, trying to educate people who are attending that fair into what quackery, what kinds of quackery they, they, they might bump into. Uh, because that fair is apparently everything about health and healthy living and companies and and uh, 
product owners are presenting themselves and their products. And of course, that is just obvious that it's going to be full of bullshit. So this is why Catherine and the others decided that they're going to go and have a stand. And uh, they're they're making leaflets, quizzes, t-shirts and stuff. So this looks very interesting. So anyone who's around at that time, uh, make sure you, you contact one of these organizations uh, in advance so that you can join their efforts and help them uh, try to stop nonsense from sp- spreading around um, during that time. Well, every time I see an advertisement for a psychic in in, in London or, or in England, I think to myself, I should really, you know, get out there and and start maybe talking to people. But um, it's a bit sort of scary on your own. But if 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 you you know gather a crowd, then that could be a good idea. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, um, let's hear what Agamemnon has to say about their event happening on the twenty seventh of February. Hello there ESP listeners, this is Brian Eggle from Glasgow Skeptics here and I'm here to shamelessly plug our upcoming big event, Skeptic Alley 2016. And that's Cali as in Caledonia. You know, what the Romans used to call Scotland. Pretty clever, huh? The event takes place on Saturday the 27th of February at Glasgow Caledonian University and we have a full day of sceptical shenanigans planned with a variety of excellent speakers including Dr Lydia LePage representing Sense About Science, expert marketer David Frank, sceptical YouTuber and podcaster Miles Power and chief executive of the British Humanist Association Andrew Copson. So, if you're near to Glasgow you should definitely come along. And if you're not near to Glasgow, this is the best possible excuse you've got to come visit. In fact, if there's anyone out there willing to travel from another country just for our event, I'll get you in for free. For information on the event and tickets, go to glasgowskeptics.com and follow the link for Skeptic Alley 2016. Or come along to one of our regular Monday night talks and I'll sell you a ticket there. Hope to see you there. <laughs> That's awesome. Great yeah. event. And I've already been contacted by people saying that uh, that I should go there and record it. And I said, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't. But I'd love to. But Oh, pe- okay. To, right, okay. You know, I, I would love yeah, to go. Too. But um, it's, a, it's a bit far yeah. away, even, even from within the yeah. same country. It's, it's just yeah. bloody far away. Uh, but I love Scotland. Mm. So I would... I would I would go yes. there if I could. Um, okay, I think now it's time for the interview that is the main part of episode eight. That's with uh, Jay Novella. Now let's listen to the interview I made with Jay Novella of the Skeptics Guide to the Universe. It was recorded in front of a live audience at a Skeptics in the Pub event in Malmö, Sweden, on the twenty third of January. We are here to meet uh, Jay Novella, and he has been, as I said, he's been doing pod- podcasts for over 10 years now. He's responsible for me being a skeptic, actually, because I got my, my first smartphone, and I wanted to check out all the strange apps on a smartphone, and I found something called a podcast. <laughs> what am I interested in? Okay, I'll put in science and see what comes up. And then the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe came up, and this is in... 2009, I think. 
And I, I immediately got the reference to Douglas Adams, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So I think the, the, these guys seem to have the same kind of humor as me. And skeptic, well, I don't know what a skeptic is, but I like to question things. So I downloaded the first episode, and then I was hooked. So I'm, I'm very thrilled to have Jay here today. Let's start with The Skeptic's Guide to Universe. Let's pretend that some of us in here has never heard The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. How would you describe it? Uh, well, I guess at its core, it's, a, it's a, a bunch of friends talking about science and critical thinking, and it's largely based on our friendship. I mean, we, we definitely dive into the, the critical topics, but the thing about the show that keeps us recording it and the thing about the show that I think keeps people listening is the fact that we have such a, a warm relationship with each other. So it's, it's partly a celebration of science and partly a celebration of our relationship. So, so if we go back a little bit before, I noticed that several of the, the members of the podcast have shared the same last name, surname. <laughs> I'm sure as, as most of you know, so um, I'll give you a little background. So we had a, a friend of ours, so we're, probably, you know, we're going back over 10 years now, a friend of ours who found out about podcasting. And we were all playing a, uh, an MMO video game together. So we're playing, we're playing this game called City of Heroes one night a week for two hours. <clears throat> and um, our friend who was playing with us said, you know what we should do? We should stop playing this game and we should record a podcast. What's a podcast? What's a podcast? Never even heard the word before. Um, so, you know, it's a radio show. You download it. People, you know, can listen to it on different devices and everything. So, but let's do a show about politics. So Steve goes, that's a great idea. We're going to do a show about skepticism, and you're not invited. So he, he, he took the idea from our friend, and basically we just started a skeptical podcast, and like a week later, we're coming up with titles, and Steve wrote out the, the basic format, which we still use today. It was like, if you look back, I've looked back on the emails, and it was like, it, this idea was just forcing itself into reality. You know, like we had, it was so much momentum in our heads that it all spilled out once we the idea of us producing some type of radio show came up. We just had all these ideas come spilling on the table, and the name came out, the concept of the show came out, and we were recording two weeks later. So I, I think we need to go back uh, even further and say, who's this Steve guy you're talking about? Steve is my, my nemesis and my brother. <laughs> he, uh, you know, all kidding aside, Steve is, is without a doubt, like, my primary intellectual hero. Like, I know him in a way that most people don't know him, and he is, um, he's, an, he's a remarkable person. Um, he's very intelligent. He's a, he's a clinical neurologist, and he's, he's our ringleader. I mean, Steve makes the show happen. He does all the post-production. He makes all, all the editorial decisions on the show. Um, so he's the glue that keeps this happening. I mean, it's 10 years. I mean, it's, mm. it's a phenomenal amount of time. It's a huge... Uh, sacrifice for all of us. I mean, you know, there's time I don't spend with my family. I have two kids now, and I don't see them because of the podcast. <laughs> I'm not complaining, but I mean, it is a sacrifice. And Steve keeps us motivated and keeps it going. Um, and on top of that, I mean, as, if anybody here listens to the show, when I mean, Steve is mastering all the content as well, you know, where you know I'll know 10% of what Steve knows about any topic we talk about. He just he just has the ability to load his head with information very quickly. So that's Steve, and then we have my, our other brother, Bob, who's also on the show. And Bob loves physics and, and things like that. And we do have another brother who isn't on the show, our brother Joe, who's Bob's twin. Not an identical twin, but he is a skeptic. Mm -hmm. 
So this started really even before the podcast. You you were skeptics even before you found out about podcasting. Yeah, so I didn't tell you about my sister. So <laughs> so when I was 14 years old, my sister was going to college and she went away for a semester and came back a born again Christian. So it was like she had a remarkable personality change. And Steve, now when we look back on it, Steve says that he was already becoming a skeptic, even though he didn't know there were, he didn't know the, the formal name and that there was any kind of community happening. But for me, my real introduction was my sister got affected by this weird thing, which was this religion. And I just started fighting against it. Like, it was emotional, because I didn't have the same person in my life anymore. She was a totally different person. And it was the beginning of a thousand debates at dinner and in the middle of the day you know she could she would come home and she'd say they can see heaven with a telescope and we would just be like cats jumping on her like what are you saying and what do you mean and, you know so we're starting to research like how can she possibly say that what are they what are they actually saying and you know trying to like t take it you know tear down her her statement and i think that was a, a big like proving grounds for us so that was like Unfortunately, it's my sister. I feel bad because she took a lot of abuse from us because we were sharpening our sword against that religion. Like, and it, it was a big push for us to become to become skeptics and critical thinkers and everything. So I'm going to formally apologize to her right now on your podcast. <laughs> Sandra, I love you. Sorry. Um, but that was the beginning. And then we started to, you know, we discovered Randy and Carl Sagan. And we started reading their books. And that was huge. You know, we, re we read Demon Haunted World as a family almost you know we were just talking about it and um that book had a massive effect on us and unfortunately you know we not we didn't get to meet carl because he died of cancer um but we we invited randy to come speak once and he accepted and we were shocked because we were fans of seeing on seeing randy on tv and you know traveling around the world and the guy that like, came to boston and we had a, a lecture with him so we became friends with randy right away and he, have you ever met randy no Yeah, you got to meet him. I mean, he's he's a he's an awesome awesome person. I mean, just like there's so much I could say about him, but very giving and you know, very open with his time. And I think Randy like helped us also set the tone of what kind of people we wanted to be as activists. And then from there, it was we started like an early idea of skeptics in the pub, but it was more like just lectures. You know, we, it wasn't drinking. It was just more of like, okay, we're gonna go to this library. We're gonna have a lecture. And we would get 20 or 30 people, and we had about 300 people on our mailing list, and we would send out a newsletter. And then, and then the podcasting thing happened years later. And when that happened, we were just so ready for it. You know, we had already been writing articles and, and you know, getting into the internet and everything. All the all the chess pieces were lined up, and it, then it just it happened overnight. And two weeks later, we're podcasting, and then you know, a couple of years later, you know, we already had an audience, and we started to really learn how to podcast and and you know how to distribute and, and help you know, teach people about science, make it entertaining, you know, use our family and friend relationship in the show. That was natural for us. Um, the early shows are a little dry, but we warmed up, I think, pretty quickly, and we started to get our, our hands wrapped around the technology. And I, I think by the end of year one, it's really, that's when it started to really gel and things started to take off. There was another person on the podcast from the beginning, Perry, yes. who was, I understand, very instrumental in, in creating the podcast. Can yeah, you yeah. talk about him? Yeah, absolutely. So Perry, um, was he, he did everything that I told you about the previous, right? So he was there 
when we were doing the you know Perry was more involved in the newsletter than I was because I was I was in a band while these guys were doing a lot of that work and I was just on the periphery and when they needed web help I would help them but Perry really it was Steve and Perry in the beginning they were really the, the uh, the dynamic duo of skepticism to start the New England Skeptical Society and, and um, everything that followed. Yeah, so Perry named the podcast. It was his idea. You know, he, he, we had a running list, and he's the one that came up with the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. And, you know, Perry has such a huge personality, and I think he, he was our original draw for the podcast. I think a lot of people identified with Perry. Um, it's just hard to hear him and not kind of fall in love with him because he's so fun and inviting and, and then you know he was very dismissive but it was always funny he had humor in everything that came out of his mouth it was just sarcasm um and you should hear the things that didn't make it to the show i mean before we'd start you know recording you know perry would like uh, w without editing himself would just start talking about the news items before we'd go in and it was like he just was hysterical and it was a big loss when we lost Perry, it was it was horrible for us. You know, it was like one of the most depressing things that I think all of us had to face. Um, but it's also awesome to know that we have you know Perry. I think in 111 episodes, um, I just go back and I listen to those episodes when I miss him. So yeah, and 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 he was in the show to the very end. I mean, you didn't you even phoned him up when he was at the hospital, and he was there just a week before he died. Yeah, it was like that week. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't know. We had no idea that it we, that he was in his last hospital stay. I just figured, you know, he would go every once in a while. You know, he had health problems, but we didn't know that was it. And you know, I got I remember getting the phone call from Steve. It was on a Sunday night, and he just he said, "I'm I, I'm in the hospital, and Perry just died as I'm standing here." And and it was a big change for us. Um, and did you know that Rebecca never met Perry in person? They never met each other, which was I just was dying for that. I thought that would have been hysterical because they are literally polar opposites. And it was great on the show. God, their their interaction on the show and the stuff they would say off the show was amazing. So yeah, so we miss Perry, um, but he has a hell of a legacy. Yeah, but, but you didn't uh, you didn't skip a beat. You you continued to do the podcast. So you were really deep dedicated into continuing this. I don't think you missed the following week's uh, no, episode. We didn't. No, I, I mean I I don't think we missed an episode after about month six. We've been consistent every week. For nine and a half years, uh, and that's Steve. And I think it's obvious that that's Steve makes makes that happen. I mean, he he's the one that makes sure that the, the podcast happens. Yeah. Part of it is, I mean, think about it. I'm here on a business trip, and I'm like, I get to meet all these people, and it's a remarkable thing. Yeah. That, and you, that's happened. I guess you got a hard time from Steve from not being in the next week's episode now because you're on two weeks in a row. Yeah, he freaked out when I called him up, and I'm like, so I'm going to be in Sweden for work. And um, I just don't know, Steve. And he's like, no, 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 we could do it. And he's like, so how far ahead are you going to be? I'm like, six hours. And he's like, well, that's two in the morning for you. Now, do you think you could like last until about three? I'm like, no, I've got to go to work. <laughs> I'm like, no, I can't, I can't do it. And he is just so like to the bitter end. I'm like, on my way to the airport. And he's like, maybe we can record some stuff this weekend. Maybe I can get you know get you a little earlier, like at the end of your day and towards the end of my day. And you know, I'm like, how about I just don't record for two weeks? You know what I mean? <laughs> this is this is hard business doing podcasts. Yeah, I can tell you. Before before we leave uh, the early days, uh, I, I believe you did some ghost hunting and stuff in in before the podcast existed. Do you have any anecdotes from that? Yeah, that was interesting. So we we were doing some in-person 
you know, debunking, I guess, you know, that we were, we were experimenting with it. So we, we, we did some in-person things and yeah, there's, um, a famous, you know, ghost hunting couple back, you know, back a decade and a half ago called Ed and Lorraine Warren, the Warrens. Um, and they're just very, they're world famous ghost hunters and, you know, psychics and all this stuff. Um, so we had, it was, a, it was a pretty interesting story about our interaction with them. The bottom line is they, we think that they really did believe. You know, there, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll discuss Ed and Lorraine and go, Ed didn't, but Lorraine did. And, you know, but, but in general, I'm pretty sure that they believe all this stuff. Um, but they're totally deluded. Totally, you know, like they have a crew of people. They always have these interns and they, they would go out and do all these investigations and they were really big. Um, they had, t you know, they were on TV, you know, was it a year and a half ago? They literally made a movie about these people. There was a, there was a horror movie that came out and it was about them. It was their story. Um, of course they have like this super young, good looking guy playing Ed and that's not what Ed looked like or behaved like at all. That wasn't, that wasn't the same guy. Um, so, you know, it was pretty ridiculous. They had like this haunted museum in their basement and there was like a, a, a possessed Raggedy Ann doll and, you know, they were saying, don't touch it and, you know, of course, Bob was <laughs> Bob was touching it, and the, and and Lorraine Warren actually said to Steve, "Is it or to, and to Perry?" She said at one point, "Is this, is it the science that did this to you?" Like as if science was like a disease of the mind. You know what I mean? Like she just was so anti-science that she looked at it like it was bad, and that was that was a pretty interesting thing when we when we were like laughing about that comment. Like, wow, could you imagine like thinking that science is like a mental disease, like it's something to avoid? Yeah, unreal. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the show like it is now, Rebecca wanted to, to do other things, so she left the show. But you have a new uh, person there since this summer, I believe. Yeah, so Kara, I mean, uh, Rebecca was with us for nine years. Mm. Um, and it was a, I mean, it was a hard de decision for her to make, and it was, it was hard for us to take it. But, I mean, nine years. I mean, what do you do for nine years? So, you know, it was a, it was a happy departure. Mm. As much as I, I, I hated to see her go, I was, like, so happy that she was with us for so long. And then I had met Kara at, uh, at TAM, which is a skeptical conference in Las Vegas. I had met her a year and a half pr prior to when Rebecca told us that she was leaving. And, and soon afterwards, you know, Steve and I started talking. So, what, you know, what are we going to do? You know, do we want another co-host? Are we okay with the four of us? You know, and we think we realized very quickly, you know, we need, we definitely need a different kind of voice. Between me, Bob, and Steve, and Evan, we, we think similarly on a lot of things. You know, there's definitely a lot of, like, you know, crisscrossing of the, the circles there. And Rebecca was such an awesome foil to a lot of things, you know, and, and she had a different perspective. And without getting into politics, her politics were different, and that bleeds in, and that's good because it's good to have just different voices on there thinking and saying different things. So we wanted another person on the show. Mm -hmm. And I, I immediately threw out Kara's name. I'm like, she was awesome. She's, you know, she is completely aware of science. She's well-versed in science. Um, she was studying neurology. Um, she is a media person. She knows how to communicate science. And I loved her. I had, I, we had an awesome interview with her. And she was a sit. She was like, out of everyone that we were thinking about and talking to, in that, interview like an audition or what kind of an interview? Yeah, well, we, we auditioned a few people, though they didn't know it was an audition. We just invited them on the show, and we were, like, talking before and after and taking notes and all that. Uh, you know, I, one person came on, and she knew that it was pretty much like a test. But, but everybody else, we didn't, you know, it just didn't, there was no reason to do it because we wanted to make up our mind first before we even started to discuss it. 
And then, you know, we, we had Kara on early in the year after Rebecca left. So like a couple of months after Rebecca left, we had her on. And then we, every time we, we, we interviewed somebody else or had someone else on the show, we were kind of stacking them up against each other, you know, naturally, like the way anybody would. And then it just was obvious. You know, six months went by and we're just like, we're just, we're just, we got to ask her. And we weren't even sure she was going to say yes. And when we did ask her, it was awesome because she was, you know, oh my God, really? Like, oh, I would love to. And she was super happy about it. And that was really cool because, you know, we didn't know if she could fit it into her schedule. She's on, you know, she's in California. We're, we're you know, just north of New York City. So we're, there is a time difference and it just works out perfectly. So we're, we're okay. Okay, so now we know uh, quite a bit about the people behind the, the show. So, again, what, what, what is in the show? And do you have any favorite uh, segments of the show? Yeah, so I think, you know, the, the most accessible segment that we have is definitely um, science or fiction, where Steve will say three or four science items and one of them is fake. Um, and that's fun because it is a little competitive with us and we definitely tally our results at the end of the year. And it's cool because it's a quick... It's like here's three news items, and which one is which one's fake, or which one has been significantly altered. And it really, it's a jog. It's hard to to do it because you know, I most of the time, the vast majority of the time, I haven't read any of the articles. So it's really drawing deeply on just my sense of science. You know, like do I think that this is possible, or which one is bullshit? Is it this one? Is it that one? We have new segments this year that I love. Like Bob is doing, um, you know, heroes of un, un, you know unknown heroes of science. Um, and that's great because we we're really discussing a lot of people that most people don't know about. A lot of times we don't even know about them. You know, we're doing research and getting emails, and we are talking a lot about female scientists, which is great because you know, unfortunately, you know, it isn't a fifty-fifty split. In, in our opinion, a lot of female scientists just flat out get ignored and don't get don't give they're not given the credit that they deserve and the things that they actually did because you know just the way our society is. So that one is great. Um, Evan and I switched, so Evan is doing the quote of the week, and now I'm doing Who's That Noisy? Mm -hmm. And I got to tell you, like, I had an incredible time in 2015 doing the Who's That Noisy segment. All, all the bastards. Yeah, I, I mean, when I stumbled just on Just describe it, what the Who's That Noisy is. So it's pretty simple. I play a, an odd sound, and I just ask people to guess what the sound is, and then the next week we have a discussion about what it is. And, you know, so one sound that I love, it's someone dropping a screw into a jet engine that's just standing up and down and it's hitting all the blades as it goes in, right? It's a really odd sound. It's really impossible to guess unless you've heard it, but when you, when I, when you hear the answer and then I play it back, it's one, you know, it's like, oh my God, yeah. So that's what I try to do every week is get, get that going. So then, because Star Wars, the movie was coming out, and you know where I'm going with this, I'm a massive Star Wars fan. I, I challenge anybody with Star Wars trivia <laughs> want to fight me? We'll do that later. Yeah. We'll have a competition. Um, so when that was when that was happening, and we were starting to prepare, we knew that we wanted to do something because the movie was coming out, and um, it just occurred to me. Like I'm, I'm a huge fan of blasters, Star Wars blasters in particular, um, and I just said I'm going to play blaster noises, and that's going to be like my who's that noisy theme for a while. And I got through a lot. I mean, there isn't as many as you think. I mean, if you're a sci-fi fan. I, when I went into it, I'm like, you know, maybe I'll find about 20, and there really isn't 20 good ones out there. Mm -hmm. And most of them come from Star Wars. Mm -hmm. But that was my favorite thing I did last year. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, looking forward, what's uh, coming up? What can we look forward to when it comes to the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe or the North England, no, the New, Eng yeah, New, New England, England Skeptic Society? Well, we are, so we're spending a lot of energy with our conference, which is mm -hmm. called Nexus. 
Um, and that, that's in New York City, April, May of every year. I, I'm finding that that is great activism. You know, when you get to meet people in person and, and get them um, in front of speakers, I mean, you know this, you, you've been to tons of conferences. There's something that, that captures people when they do that, and we really like the conference concept. So that's a big thing that we're just going to continue to work on every year. The podcast, I mean, we're, we're going to keep going. We made a five-year commitment uh, during, when was this? Not too long ago. We did the 10-hour show, right, mm -hmm. that 10-hour live show. And I asked everyone, will you commit to another five years? And we did. So we're going to continue to go. We're going to continue to evolve the show and try new segments. Mm -hmm. We're really going to be pushing to get more interviews this year. It's very time-consuming. You, you probably know this now, right? It's really hard to get interviews. I mean, it takes a lot of time on the phone, and you got to, you know, it's, it's a big rigmarole to get people to be able to do it, and then you got to help them with headsets, and it's it's a big deal. But we just want to get sometimes they just it. show up in the pub, and you can. That's right. Yeah, or they're coming here for business, and they're 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 calling you saying, "I'm bored and lonely. Can I?" <laughs> uh, that's what happened, by the way. I called I called my buddy right here, and. Uh, I said, I'm going to stay in your hotel, get me the best price you can, and entertain me because I'm, I'm going to be alone for two weeks. <laughs> so he's actually like lending me his clothes and everything. So we're... <laughs> so Jay's not here to entertain you. You are here to entertain him. Yes. <laughs> and I believe I owe all of you $5. <laughs> yeah, but, but a little bit more about Nexus. So, so how many people do you expect? How many visitors? Well, we think we're going to sell out this year. So we're going to probably hit 700 700. Yeah, we're, we're expecting 700 people this year. So the, the big thing that people have gone to over the years is TAM, the, the amazing meeting in Las Vegas. But now I, I don't think it's going to happen this year, or it's still uncertain. It seems like it's... Do, do, what, do you know more about that? Well, I can tell you that the JREF is not going to be running TAM formally as, as the JREF. There was a, uh, an employee or someone that was working with the JREF who wanted to take it over and ad adopt the name and, and keep the conference going. But it isn't a, a JREF-run event anymore. And we still haven't heard. So we, we know 100% that, that the JREF isn't doing it. And I think right now is about a 20% chance that they're going to be able to pull it together at this point. So, so do you think, how do you feel about the, 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 the need for these big conferences? Because that's bigger. That's a couple of thousand people, right? I think they, they topped out at 1,600. Okay, and 1,600. The, and the last TAM was about 900, I think, mm -hmm. eight, 900. Okay. So that's a really big conference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do think we need conferences. Yeah. Just like what we're doing right now. We get to meet people. You make connections. I mean, you know, you're a fellow podcaster. And, I, I, you know, it's very likely that because of this trip, you and I are going to do something together. And I'm going to, you know, I'll start to integrate. Um, and that's what happens. I mean, you meet people face to face. You have a couple of meals and you start talking about things. You know, that's, that's where I met Richard Saunders. That's where I met George Robb. That's where I, I met everybody it was at a conference. All right. So now we talked about the, the SGU and what you do. Uh, how about yourself? Because there is the person, Jay Novella, as well, not just the one who always do what Brother Steve tells him to do, right? <laughs> so, uh, you, one, one plan we had for today because, before we changed it was that you would talk to us about skeptical humility. Right. Uh, can you develop that a little bit? It's a, it's a great topic because overall I think humility goes hand in hand with skepticism and there's a lot of, a lot of reasoning behind it. And this is could be a very long thing I'm saying. I have plenty of uh, memory left. I mean, I could talk about this for like 45 when minutes. When they start to leave, we will. All right, okay. <laughs> I'll try to encapsulate it. So the first thing is 
I have completely embraced and accepted that I, I have a faulty way of perceiving reality. Humans don't perceive reality like a tape recorder. We have a, we have a it's a very disjointed thing that's going on, and we're and you know the human mind is a very complicated organ, and it makes complicated mistakes. Keeping that in mind, so what do we have? We have, you know, we're, we're taking in sensory input, and our brain immediately before it even hits our conscious mind, our brain is filtering it, filtering stuff out, and it's changing things. So that's why two people can have a conversation or see the same thing and come away with two different stories. You know the thing, you know, 10 people see a car accident and you get 10 different stories about the car accident. Well, who's right and who's wrong? Well, everybody is, is probably portionately right and everyone is probably wrong about some details. Um, another quick thing is um, they've done tests where they can pollute people's memories. So what they'll do is they'll have people read a paragraph. Then they'll have someone come talk to them Say this is like just a quick idea on like how you can pollute somebody's memory. So then someone will come in and talk to them. And let's say that they're talking about a man walking across the room and doing a bunch of things. And then that's what you read. And then someone comes in and says, so the guy that was wearing the blue jacket did what first? So they, they insert that in there. Then they retest those same people and they ask questions. And a lot of the people will actually say the guy was wearing a blue jacket that didn't exist in the text. And it was inserted into their memory. And there's a lot of experimentation going on about that. But bottom line is, what does it mean? It means our memories are horribly flawed. The fact that you feel like you have a strong memory is meaningless. That your sense of how good or bad your memory is on a particular thing is not an indicator of how good that memory is. Then dreaming completely muddles your memory. Your, your, your mind is accessing your memory when you dream and you're confusing dreams for reality. You know, you, if you have a memory from your childhood, you mind me asking your age? I'm 51. All right, you're 51. Do you have a memory from five, six, seven years old? I believe I do, yes. Okay, is it uncomfortable for, for you to hear that it's probably not a real memory? It feels wrong. I feel, I feel that it is a true memory or that I have true memories, but I've, I've, I mean, I've heard the same you know things as you. About. I know what you're talking about, yeah. so I've learned not to trust it. But it feels very, very right, real. It does feel real, right? Yes. So part of it is um, if there's other people in your family and you have like a shared memory, you can't even really trust those because you probably have talked about it a lot over mm -hmm. the years, mm -hmm. you know, 45 years of talking about a memory that happened when you were, you know, five years old. Mm -hmm. And they, they iterate a little bit and, you know, and it, it just probably isn't what happened. Mm -hmm. It could be mildly close, but largely it's not. Mm -hmm. And then, and this is the one that bothers me the most, is when you remember something, your brain is picking up that memory, it's going through your conscious mind, and your brain is writing that memory back down. It's like it's laying the track down again. And every time it goes through your, the, your, your, the front of your mind, it gets it's changed. jostled. Mm. And it, it gets iterated and, and screwed up. Mm. So getting back to humility, so yeah, so we have this really bad perception problem, we have this bad memory problem, and when you add all those things up, science has taught us we have to be humble. We can't, we can't look at other people that believe in things, and, and, and this is my opinion, of course. But, like, yeah, I have a sister who's a born-again Christian. I, I, I used to fight with her and be angry with her. And today, you know, not, I don't want to put this the wrong way, but I actually feel sorry for her. I just feel like she, she's in a mind trap. You know, she, she went down a dead end somewhere in her life with this religion, and... I'm, I'm the lucky one because I feel like I'm standing on top of science and I'm critically looking at myself and critically looking at my reality and she's believing what essentially what other people tell her is reality. So I feel bad for her. And that humility actually 
let, lets me, it helps me talk to her in a nice way. I treat her better now than I did 20 years ago. I have more respect for her now than I did 20 years ago. And I, I try to treat everyone, everybody with that type of humility. I don't, I don't like to think much of myself. It's another thing about humility. Like I, I, I have a lot of things in my life I'm proud of. I feel accomplished. But I don't walk into a room with this gravitas like who the hell I am because I, I, my humility helps me, you know, it just grounds me. And I think that skeptics have this trend, particularly in the beginning of, of, of your skeptical you know, awakening when you start to you know, really understand what critical thinking is. And it's kind of like a power, you know, like it's almost like a superpower. You have this really keen ability to look at reality and it gives you phenomenal insight. And in my opinion, we can legitimately say, and you have a, you're looking at reality in a very clean way if you're exercising critical thinking well, right? And I, and I, I treat that carefully. It's like Superman using his strength to do things that are bad, right? Superman has got to be a good guy because he's super powerful. So you have to respect that thing you have. You have, you have to respect the fact that you're seeing things more clearly than a lot of other people are. So in the end, I just think... Humility is a is part of the tool set. It's part. It's in our baloney detector box. It's part of the things that I think people should be developing as a skeptic. Don't come out and tell people they're wrong. Think of a better way to communicate. Think of a way to make people feel more comfortable about what you're doing. We were just talking at, at the table over here about how do you convince someone that they're wrong? You know, how do you take away someone's afterlife or whatever? You know, it isn't at work arguing with them, telling them they're wrong and what you think is stupid. You have to, in order to, to help people, you have to start by being nice. And that's the humility part. So I'm a big fan of that. Okay. All right. Um, there is one thing as well that, at least on the show a couple of years ago, came back quite a lot. And that was your uh, approach to the afterlife or to what, what will happen to you when you die. And there were... Ideas of, I don't know if you wanted to upload your brain to a computer or stuff like that. I don't want to upload my brain to a computer, and I'll tell you why, because and now i got to get technical, but that's, that's a breach of continuity, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, we had to go there. Yourselves. We had to go there. Okay. Prepare yourselves. <laughs> yeah, so I, I decided when I turned 30 years old that I wanted to get frozen. I know, I know it's probably not going to work. You know, no one has to convince me of that. I, I know the technology can't prove itself. I mean, it's more of just a burial option, right? But I, I, I believe in technology, and I believe that humans are going to continue to advance technology, and I think there's an amazingly small chance that it's possible that they might be able to resuscitate people that are frozen. That being said, you know, I really wanted to do it in a way to show, to kind of commit myself to science. It's, it's, it's a different way to look at the whole thing. It, it's a way, it makes me feel good to know that I believe in science so much that I'm just going to go with almost a science fiction thing as like my, my option when I die. But that being said, so there's a, this whole debate that I love to have with particular friends of mine about like this continuity. So as an example, let's say we have a machine that can make an exact duplicate of you molecule to molecule. It, it reads you and it creates you and there's an exact duplicate of you right there. But there's some, it's some really provocative things here. Now, so which one is, is the original? The answer is the I guy am. here, I am. not this guy. It's this guy. You're the original, okay? But there are people that think that if they read you, scanned you, then dematerialized you, and then rematerialized you over here, you know, two feet to the left, that it would still be you. Now, I argue it's not the same consciousness. It's an identical 
but separate consciousness, right? Because mm -hmm. we're we're discrete. You know, our because we're standing near each other, our minds aren't mixing in any way. It just happens to be a, a replica of you, but it's not the same person. Mm -hmm. And there are people that are like, I don't care. I, I I don't think so. I don't agree with that, and I can't get over it because there's a breach of continuity. It isn't you. So in a lot of sci-fi, like when Captain Kirk, you know, goes in the machine and they turn him into atoms, or, and they you know, push that energy down to the planet and they rebuild him. Every time I see that, I'm like, they just killed Captain Kirk. <laughs> so it's fun to talk about, but it, I, I just happen to think I'm right, you know, and I can, I can recite a lot of science to back up my, my thinking. So. All right. Okay, so before we, we let uh, the audience get their questions in as well, we're going to end on a little bit lighter note, because I hear you're putting the band together. Did I tell you that? Yeah, I did. I don't remember. <laughs> So, yeah, you have so, a, so what I'm saying, you have, you have or have had a musical career, and maybe you're uh, doing something about that again. Yeah, so I was in a band for, for 21 years, um, and I, it was always the same guitarist, bass player, and drummer. So I was a, I'm a bass player and a singer, and then I had the same two guys. And we had a lot of different people, like my brother Joe was in the band in the beginning, and it, it iterated, but it was always the three of us. The band ended, and it was good at the time because the podcast was starting to come huge in my life, and I didn't have the, the time. So now, you know, it's, we're getting sentimental and, you know, a lot of years have gone by and the three of us just got together last week and we committed to record, you know, six to ten of our old original songs that we did. And I really miss, I really miss being in a band. I really miss playing. I still play acoustic guitar for fun and I sing to my son. But, yeah, I'm really yeah. excited about this. Yeah. I've got to carve out a little, little time to do this, but All right. it's coming. We're looking forward to that very much. So, who has a question for Jay? What happened to your sister? Well, she's fine. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, she maintains her religion. Um, she, uh, she's in a happy relationship, which is great, a healthy, happy relationship. You know, I mean, it's still, I still think that it's a detriment and it's causing a lot of trouble in her life because of you know, the, the fact that she can't make really good decisions you know it's always going through this religious filter and it's you know it has that going on but she's she's doing well i think uh what would you really like to do if you had more time or energy or resources something that you cannot do today because of limitations now is it are you talking what would i do with the, the sgu yeah, yeah okay so. something um i really love video production it's so much fun it's it's more than an order of magnitude more difficult than audio. You ever do? I told you don't do video. I'll listen the to other that. Night. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's but it's amazing fun. And once you start doing it, it's like you just get addicted to it. And you know, now I have, you know, I have people that are literally film professionals that I've become close with that work with us. We have editors. You know, we have a, like all these people that are into it and actors that we're friends with. And you know, everyone's just waiting for us to do our next project. So yeah, like I love it. I already have a couple of ideas for you know another comedy film we're going to do this year. Um, you know we you know what we did um, at Tam last year was we recorded a bunch of videos with different people like we were like playing D and D with them and you know something ridiculous happens or whatever um, and that's fun because you know working with people that you know Bill did a video with us and we, we had a lot of other people that are that are big in the skeptical community do it so yes video it's amazingly fun. How many here have seen Ock the Skeptical Caveman? Oh, a few, a few. Yeah, yeah. It, it was, was hard. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I, I can yeah. tell. It was, uh, it was a lot of work. 
amazing uh, amount of work. Yeah, yeah, it's a full-time job, at least. Yeah, it was two years, two years of all my free time, yeah. without a doubt. Yeah. Yep. And it's, you know, you know, I can openly say, like, I think we did a great job, but I'm a, I'm a rookie filmmaker. And, you know, I look at that and I see a million things I wanted to do better and from the writing to everything. It's mm. just, you know, in every step of the way, I know I'm on a journey. I would love to see the version of that of what I could have what I could have done ten years from now. Mm-hmm. You know, because I guess creatively, everyone always wants it to be better than what you what you ended up. I, it was, but it was a, a brilliant project. We got to work. We had a forty person crew. Yeah, there was a lot of people involved. Yeah, so that was amazing. You know, my wife directed, and my wife is actually, um, you know, she's uh, schooled as a director, so she really she knows exactly what she's doing, um, and. I would I would love to do something like on that scale again, but get, you know, but do it right and see if I can you know up my game. So mm-hmm. we'll see. Right, we're looking forward to that. Yeah. Any? Yeah. Yeah, we're very very quick one. It isn't a very skeptic question, but as far as I understand, you you haven't missed one single week of production of the, of this podcast, and that's I, I can't believe it. It's, it's fantastic. But do do you really have full time works? Oh yeah. <laughs> All of us. Yeah, I work for Thule. Um, I have a very aggressive job at Thule. So, yeah. you know, it, all right. So first of all, when you have somebody like Steve who takes their shoe off and like just sticks their foot all the way up your ass yeah. every week, <laughs> like, yeah, that helps because he is, you know, Steve and I have a huge ambition, but Steve, yeah. there are weeks that have come and gone where I'm like, you know, yeah. we got so much, something happened, you know, like could be anything from like losing a pet to we're sick you know but it, it just steve has this magical ability to keep us doing it every week the other thing though is and i was, i kind of said it before is that it's meaningful to us to keep it going like we it, it, we really want to not miss a week you know by hook or crook we're going to we're going to keep doing it and i think that's part and, and of the further it goes yeah the more <laughs> crazy it becomes right um you know and again like because of that consistency yeah. I get to do stuff like this, you know, like it's it's part of our success is that we were it's there, it's predictable. Yeah, but the reason you're in Sweden is because of your work, right? Because of two, yeah. 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 I actually thought of one thing that I didn't I forgot to ask and that that there are you you talk about all things science, you know, uh, there's uh, astronomy, there's physics, nanotechnology, everything. But there is one topic that a lot of skeptics are a little bit careful with and that's religion. Mm-hmm. And you don't debate religion a lot on the show, do you? No, we don't talk about politics or religion unless they crisscross. Like you know, unless a religious person is making a scientific claim or putting down science, but we still don't do it a lot. And it's pretty. I think it's obvious. Like um, religion and politics, I think are the, the the things that make people fight with each other. We largely don't agree. You know, there's so many things to disagree about politics and religion. Um, where science, you know, this is a show about science. We chose our editorial policy 10 years ago. We don't want to talk about I really don't want to talk about religion. What am I going to tell other than putting people down and saying that it's this is stupid and wrong and all that? I just don't have that much to say about it. I have a very well thought out reasoned, you know, position on on what I think about religion and organized religion and to continue to bring it up and you know, hound on religion to me isn't educating people about science. It isn't educating them to become critical thinkers. It's just, you know, me making myself feel better by putting other people down. Mm-hmm. And politics, you know, this is just me, but I hate politics. And believe me, we hate what's going on politically in the United States right now. Like, it's 
any critical thinker out there is like hating what's happening. It's been slowly getting worse and worse. But like, what am I going to talk about? Donald Trump? Oh my God! <laughs> Don't if I crack that open, when, when would it stop? The guy is a lunatic. Yeah. So you know, we can't be on the show every week like talking about that nonsense. So I just kind of look at it like, you know what? We are a science show. I sneak in geek culture. I, I I get to do that. That's my thing. I bring to the show. I love it. We all are geeks. We all you know. We all love that stuff. But I make sure that it's in there because I think that's that's part of our flavor. But re religion and politics don't belong in our show. Okay. Yes. What do you find? Because I I just assume that throughout these ten years you get you have a sense of what's coming and going within pseudoscience. What phenomena do you find most concerning? within the pseudoscientific area field yeah. and within the skeptic field. All right, so I'm going to ask for clarification about the skeptic thing, but I'll talk about the pseudoscience. I mean, it's mostly medical positions, right? So if someone is making a claim, like homeopathy says, take this and it'll cure cancer and everything, right? Like anything like that, we are amazingly upset about and against and fighting against because, you know, there, it's very hard for the average person to know what's real and what's not real on the internet. I mean, it, critical thinking is like the tool to use to, to figure that out. And most people aren't critical thinkers. You just have people digesting the background noise of information that comes along. And homeopathy is treated as if it's a legitimate, it's a legitimate medicine. And most people just don't even really know what it is. They just think it, it's, homeopathy is like, you know, like a really feel-good type of medicine. That is, is something that we can't get over. Because people are taking sugar water and sugar pills instead of going to see a medical doctor, that type of stuff. I, you know, we, we love talking about it because it's important. Vaccinations, again, like the, the most successful medical effort of humanity. It, it is it, the people that develop the vaccines. I think should be on our money. Like that's how important this is. I don't care about the, who the first president is. I care about that person and that person that created these vaccines that oh I don't know saved millions of lives. Right? Get rid of polio. Get rid of smallpox. I mean, you ever see someone with measles? You know, most of us haven't because it doesn't exist anymore. Oh, but it's coming back because there's a large number of people in X country or in Denver that aren't vaccinating their kids. Whooping cough, you know? So, yeah, I can't even talk about it without getting pissed off because I read so much about it. I know what it does. I know how dangerous not being educated about those topics are. So that's, you know, I can't get over how bad that is. So, but to clarify your, your other point about skepticism. Well, as a concerned member of the movement, is there, is there any kind of uh, uh, yeah, phenomenon or uh, if there's some kind of subculture or are you, is there anything happening that is like concerning? Concerning? Um, uh, well, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I don't like this, the profound infighting that happens in the skeptical community. I mean, we actually largely agree. If you take any skeptic around the world that goes to the conferences and that's reading, and it's just, you know, like us, we're, we're digesting the, the, the content that's out there. We agree on so much. And we could be so much more effective. And it's, these, it's the special interest skeptics that I find troubling because it's all this ridiculous headbutting and trolling and, you know, putting each other down. It's like, yeah, yeah, there's legitimate issues. But, like, let, let's, let's take... Um, you know, people that aren't progressive thinkers about sexuality, as an example. Is, is that lack of progressive thinking a problem in the skeptical movement, or is it a problem in humanity? 
If you get any collection of 400 people or 500 people together, you're going to have a misogynist. You're going to have a person that's you know afraid of gay people. You're going to have a person that's afraid of a foreigner, right? I mean, it's it's inside of humanity. It's everywhere. So why should we think that if we take you know, let's say there's 30,000 skeptics that that are active in the community globally, and I really don't know what the number is. Let's say it's 30,000 people. If you take any chunk of 30,000 people. You're going to have all these things in there. It's just cooked into humanity. So when they look at the skeptical movement and go, the skeptical movement has a, you know, has a, a problem with misogyny. I say, yes, because people make up the skeptical movement. And this is something that is cultural and something that we have to fix. But I wouldn't say, let's fix it inside of skepticism so much as I would say, let's just fix it in general. Like, I am a feminist. I believe in feminism. But I don't want to apply my skepticism and my feminism, and then I can just, you know, how, how many levels deep do you want to go? So that infighting to me is just, it's not a waste of time. Like, we should have conversations and we should talk about it, but it gets to the point where it detracts from all the other work that we're doing, and it's troubling to me. And it's not just feminism. I mean, it's everything. There's so many different things we could talk about, but that's just the easy one because it comes up all the time. Anyone else? Is there, like, a risk that you get, like, it pressed from, from like deconstructing every like. Uh, uh yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. I understand. So let me see if I can state the question. So, you're saying because we understand science and because we have a way of um, deconstructing reality and understanding why things are the way that they are, that it demystifies and it almost takes away the romance, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, and I would say yes that we do calculate and and quantify and do all that stuff. However. Science really does make me appreciate reality more than if I just thought the big guy with the beard in the sky made it. Like the fact that, you know, the universe is billions of years old and that we, this planet has existed for billions of years. Like those things to me are mind-blowing in ways that I don't think religion would be mind-blowing to me. So I, I appreciate that stuff. On the other side of the coin, I, I, ha I suffer from depression, I think, because of, I'm a critical thinker because I know that I'm going to die. And I don't have a way to cope with it. I don't have a good coping mechanism. I don't have that human built-in, there's religion and God, and I can just, you know, kind of ignore it and then only deal with it maybe in the last year of my life thing. Like, I contemplate it all the time, and it's hard. Because I have a limited time, and I see my kids, and I know that my kids are going to grow up and die. And it's a terrible thought, and it is depressing. But I find that at, at the older I get and the more people I meet, and particularly in the skeptical movement, there's so much to live for there's so many awesome things to, to spend your time doing that are legitimate. And as humanity progresses, you know, we add, we add to the wave. You know, like it just keeps getting bigger. And I, and I hope that I'm doing that for people in general because of my podcast. I hope that I leave some type of legacy for my kids so they can enjoy themselves and, and then they can educate their kids. But without a doubt, yeah, it's hard. I, for me, I don't know about for you. I mean, is it hard for you? Do you feel like you suffer from things because you're a critical thinker? No, I don't know, but uh, maybe it feels like uh, when you're happy, you don't uh, you don't criticize things as much. You don't scrutinize things or, like. Uh, yeah. Oh, you're like, like the happy-go-lucky person isn't going to be a critical thinker so yeah, much. Maybe like I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I mean, that's an interesting thought. I've never thought about that before. Um, I. Maybe I don't know. I have to think about it. You know, maybe is there an extraordinarily happy person in this room? Ser I'm serious. <laughs> Out of the box. Well, well, anyway, I happen to disagree a little bit because I think 
two things. Ha- happiness is state of mind. That's personalities. People yeah. are different. Some You're people born are made to be more happy yeah. than other people. And the critical thinking is the same. Some people are made to be more religious than others. They have that inside of that, That's what I, as I grow older, <laughs> yeah. uh, find. I totally agree. I think that, you know, now that I have kids and I saw it, like, you're born with a personality. And uh, there's literature about this, like, that you're born with, like, basically a baseline, you know, like, the thing, if you become a multi-billionaire, it does, you're never going to be extraordinarily happy for it. You're going to click right back to who you are. And that's odd, because I think I would be, why, right? But no, you're going to basically be who you are right now, you're just going to have money. So, yeah, so I think that, that's a good way to look at it, too, is we're kind of born with a baseline. But I think that I'm more depressed because I, I peek behind the curtain a little bit more than the average person. And dying to me is a hard thing to get over. It's just a big end. I'm not going to exist anymore? What? Like, I don't get that. It doesn't make sense to me. What do you got? Yeah, yeah. first, I, I think uh, that people with critical fingers tend more to be depressed. I believe that. But uh, I'm, I grew up in a Pentecostal family. And you know, I heard all, hear all those uh, stories about people getting born again, and it's a fantastic feeling, and they like see the light, and it's fantastic. Uh, the thing is, uh, I felt the same thing when I <laughs> stepped away from the Christianity, and uh, I I felt that life is so much bigger than this. So I think it's just um, when you turn around and change mindset and you get free from that that can give that feeling as well uh, yeah so there's something liberating about when you kind of be, when you become a critical thinker and you get the base skill set like I said it's like a superpower yeah. like you have this way to, to deal with reality and to disseminate information yeah so I feel I, I have a sense of being a wholeness with that without a doubt and it does enrich my life but I agree with you too there's a depressing element but, uh, yeah, and uh, as he's, uh, some people are more thinkers, and I think uh, thinking is, a, is good for your mental health. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I wouldn't be like be changed. Yeah, I, I like. Yeah, I mean that's it. I'd, ra- I'd rather be this than be yeah. a happy religious kook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, no, I just I just have a, a comment on the and the thing you you said about the. Skeptics not being happy, or, or or your lack of like meaning, not meaning in life, but meaning in death, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I don't worry about death. I don't go constantly worrying. Oh, what's gonna happen? I, I most of the time I forget about it. Yeah. Because I'm too busy living. I, I, I think like the meaning of life is to live. Sort of. And, I totally agree. Yeah. And I'm not gonna be there when I die, so why wor- worry about it? I'm not gonna. Yeah, I'm just gonna worrying about it doesn't help. It doesn't help. But um, d- you know, if you, I have like an, I have anxiety. Right? I get on an airplane, I can get anxious, and I, and I, I definitely suffer from anxiety from time to time. I'm totally like, I'm okay with it. It's, it's just part of my wiring in my head. I, I can't. I, but you know, when people say, just don't be anxious. No, or just don't worry, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Like you're lucky that you're okay with it, and you're you're you have a good baseline, you know. But when people, it's like saying don't have the cold you have right now. You can't. I really can't do it. I mean, I I am working on making the most of my life and being happy and everything, right? So it's I'm sympathetic to the idea that people just can't go. Whoop, okay, I'm done. If I could do that, I'd be like I'm a genius. I can play the piano and I can paint. You know what I mean? I would be doing that kind of stuff all the time. So. 
you know, we're kind of stuck inside our own wetware. Like yeah. we just got to do the best that we can. And you're lucky because you're just one of those people that, that isn't cycling th these weird thoughts all the time. Like I worry about, like my wife and my two kids went to Denver this week while I'm gone. She's with her sister in Denver, right? My kids went on an airplane for the, and I wasn't with them. And these, you know, five hours or six hours that I had radio silence with my wife, I was losing my mind. My kids were in, at 40,000 feet, and I was freaking out. Now, I know that airplanes are much safer than cars, that jet engines are super reliable, that airplanes just don't fall out of the sky. I know all that rationally, but my kids were in an airplane, you know? <laughs> so I, ha I worked on I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I'm reading, and I'm, I'm doing different things. It, it was hard. We had, a, we had like a $1.6 billion U.S. dollar lottery a couple weeks ago in the United States. So Bob calls me up. And he's like, all right, Jay, what, what would you do if you won? And I, did, I admit I bought tickets, even though it was impossible. Um, so I said, I would build my house to be the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> that would be my house. I go to my door, the thing would come down, and that would be it. And I'd, come on, beat that idea. Like, there was nothing cooler than that. Building your house like a Death Star. That would be awesome, but I don't know. If we, we, I, they did a study on this. The Death Star costs more than a billion dollars, so I wouldn't be able to afford it. I would like to argue, like we were talking about, whether skeptics are more unhappy. And sure, there are a few studies indicating that intelligent people and skeptical people are a bit unhappier, but I would like to argue that it's also very much a matter of context. If you're being a vocal skeptic, surrounded by people who are not that very skeptical, yeah. it will be very frustrating. I think it's part of it, right? So right. a lot of us are probably on Facebook. And to me, like, Facebook, it's almost painful. Like, you, you know, and you're like, ah. <laughs> Wait, I know that person. No, I can't. No. And then, then I'm making, like, that momentary decision. Do I want to do this? Can I swear? I can swear. Right? Yes, yeah. Fuck no, I am not going to spend an hour like giving them a lecture on it. I just, you know, so I'm with you. I, I, yeah, it's hard. It's hard. That's why I like this, because I'm like, hey, what's up, brothers and sisters? Like, I don't have to worry about vaccines and any of that nonsense. I can get really drunk and hang out with people I can trust. Yeah. Wait, I have a question at the back. Yeah, uh, I haven't really seen your podcast. I don't know your You can't see it. You can only hear it. Yeah. What do I consider scientific proof? Well, first, I want to compliment you on a word I've never heard, skepticist. That's a cool word. <laughs> yeah, do that. do it's that. like a scientist and a skepticist. Yes. I'm, I don't, I, not that, but I love that. <laughs> I mean, I'm a science popularizer. Um, so what was his question? I'm sorry. I don't know. I'm just thinking that if I start another podcast, it will be called The Skepticist. The Skepticists. Yes. <laughs> Can I be one with you? Yes. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. What is scientific proof? Yes. Okay. It's a really cool question. Like, what, what's proof? In short, anything that, anything that was using the, a legitimate and rigorous scientific method, one, and two, that can be repeated in, in the lab. That's science. So it has to, the, the methodology to come to your conclusions, or you're, you're approving or disproving a, a hypothesis, typically you're just trying to disprove a hypothesis. But if you have a positive read on anything, then if the methodology is sound and you can repeat it, 
you've made you've successfully ticked science forward one click. Any successful science, I mean, it, the peer review process is other scientists reading your literature, copying your methodology, and trying to replicate your findings. And if they can't, that's that's why things rot and go away. Because it's like, well, you know, that looked good. That first study read great, but it's bullshit because you can't. No one can reproduce it, so therefore, it doesn't really exist in reality. So that that's the the shortest best answer I can give. All right. Before we wrap up, Richard, I think you have at least one of your fifteen questions left. Yeah, I'm going to take question two out of fifteen. <laughs> uh, are, uh, your kids are maybe too too young. I can't remember your oldest. Three, three years old and yeah. four months. I have a five and a six year old, and I'm starting to realize I'm going to have to spend most of my free time just fending off pseudoscience for my kids. Yeah. I'm starting to worry that I'm going to spend all my time just protecting them from the internet. Yeah. So are you worried about those? Yes, of course. I mean, I've, my kid's only three, and he's on he's on the iPad, you know. And I I actually feel guilty because I always said I'm not going to be like a parent that lets their kid watch to TV and all that or with an iPad. Same thing. Um, we heavily monitor monitor it. He slipped into a couple of danger zones here and there, and we figured out how to tighten it up. Um, so the yeah, it's scary, but I think the only real answer is. You teach your son to fish instead of giving him a fish, right? So teach your kids to be critical thinkers. Like, so if you give them that the the bullshit detector and the the you know that that whole skill set, and you can give a young person a good skill set more than you would think. And I watched Steve do it with his two daughters, who turned out remarkably well. I mean, they are skeptics and they're young and they're they're great. They're 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 doing it. So yeah, that's the only answer. Is you you know instead of saying. Vaccines are real, but homeopathy is bullshit. You have to sit down and, and explain why and come up with terms that they'll understand and empower them with the ability to think for themselves because you're not going to be there. I mean, think about what's going to happen, and this is truly frightful. Your kid gets to the point where they're not with you and they're hanging out with other kids, and that's when like that peer pressure happens and all, all of that stuff that you're not there to witness. I mean, you get them until what, what age? What age do you lose your kids in a sense? You have nine years. To teach them how to think, and you have a pretty damn good control yeah. over what they consume and all that. I mean, it's a lesson. Everything is a lesson in my house. I make it fun. I'm doing science in the kitchen with my son. You know, I mean, it's like it's got to be fun. I have to enjoy it, or else I'm not going to do it. But I, I mean, man, when I'm like, I'm just now getting turning that corner with him, where I'm like teaching him just a little bit. Three, so there's there's not complicated <laughs> thinking, but I'm getting him interested in doing, playing with Legos is great, you know, gets their mind active, they're building, you know, Play-Doh and stuff like that. That's where I'm at with my son. In five years, like, we are going to be doing advanced stuff. I mean, we're, I know I'm going to own a quadcopter. We're going to do all that stuff, and I'm going to be science and science fiction. He's going to have an awesome life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know you wouldn't say it, but I would say make them listen to a skeptic guy in the universe yeah. very early. Because yeah. that's what I did to my son. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, my version is I'm, I'm, I'm a part of this. Yeah, my son's going to get Jay's version of the skeptic's guide. The skepticist. <laughs> all right. I think that's a good note to, to end on. Let your all your kids listen to Skeptics Guide all the time, and they'll turn out fine. Uh, so, uh, but we'll stick. We'll stick around, and Jay will stick around. Yes. So you you will have a chance to to ask all those questions that you didn't think of. You wouldn't dare put out there for everybody to listen to, or and we will discuss with each other and have a good time. And I'll okay. be back. Yeah, you'll be back yeah, next be back. year. At least every year, yeah. At least once a year. Great. That's a promise. Okay, <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you very much. <laughs>
I just I just loved this interview. So I Pontus, I really feel envious about about you being able to be there. So I'm, I I don't I don't know when I'm going to talk to you. <laughs> no, Jay Novella is is a fantastic guy, and we got along splendidly. And he's I, I consider him a friend now, and and it was really great to meet him. I didn't have to cut anything out of the interview basically because he was such a smooth talker. He knows how to tell a story, so it was great. Yeah, it was very good and amazing stories. I've been listening to to their show for years, and I haven't heard about their mm. sister yet. So this was the first time for me uh, to to hear about their sister. Uh, that's that's phenomenal. Yeah, and you you guys talked about some very important mm. stuff as well. So great! Thanks very much for that interview. My pleasure. And let me thank Jay Novella as well. Thanks, Jay. Um, hope to catch you somewhere at some point one of the the events are uh, the international events around here well i think this was it for this episode All right uh thank you very much yelena thank you Pontus. thank you um talk to you soon and to the listeners you'll hear us uh next week you will thank you very much All right. bye This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at theesp.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Frab and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast.eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe And no and the same goes the <laughs> the same goes the Hey sorry Doom 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 Okay good Gesundheitsbörse or something like that. But, um, I, okay, this won't make it to the show. <laughs> this has been your ESP experience. What? Do you have a problem with it? What the, what the fuck? <laughs> what the yeah. fuck? All right. What are you talking about? Uh, hang on. Well, what what kind of accent is that again? Silly. It's just a silly accent. Doing some silly, silly fake nothing at all accent. I have no idea.